0: Hi, I'm Susan, and this is Diane, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis, or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. I have been so anxious about editing episodes that we recorded before Lorelai died. Like, I don't know, I don't, was I thinking that it was going to like open some Pandora's box of emotions that I hadn't already dug into? I'm not really sure. This episode though, God in the universe had it planned that Leah's episode would be the first one I had to edit since Lorelai died because it was just the most uplifting conversation. I I say this about all of my guests, but I really love Leah. She is passionate and articulate and she just wants to use her life to make a difference with advocating and helping people understand the world that we are all living. When we started this podcast, I we, we really didn't know where it was going to go or why maybe. I don't know. Diane and I, was it a glass of wine that pushed us into this? I'm not really sure. But when we started this, we kind of took the business approach and we, we talked about what our goals were and what our missions were. My goal was to love on moms. I wanted to do this podcast to love on all the mamas who are facing things I didn't expect. And Diane, she wanted to do this to help the world understand our lives and understand the beauty that is our children and advocate for kids like Lorelai and Benji and Sayla. So today's conversation just kind of touches on all of that. And so I'm, I'm so excited and so passionate and so ready for you guys to listen.
1: Welcome, Leah. Hey, everybody. We are here with Leah. Welcome, Leah, to Hi. When Adam Comes. Hi. Thanks for having me. Of course. How are you? I'm, I'm all
2: right. you're
0: you're hiding in your basement let's be real this is real real. life you're hiding in your basement because your daughter was having a meltdown we all get it
1: you were on time though i will say i tried really hard right away (laughs) we all we all understand so (laughs) so you are here um tell us a little bit about yourself and your family
2: So I um, am a high school English and theater teacher. We live in New York and my husband's also a high school theater teacher and we have three very spirited children. We have a 10 year old daughter named Jordan who has a rare chromosomal disability um, called creedishah. And then we have twin, I like to call them the twin tornadoes. They are five, Austin and Oliver, and it's a house of loving chaos. There's just a lot of noise and a lot of movement and a lot of
1: joy and empathy. It's a very positive spin that you put on that. <laughs> Instead of a house that's imploding, it's a house that's loving chaos. I should change my view of that. Yeah, loving chaos.
0: I have a sign at like when you walk into my house that says,
1: welcome to our beautiful chaos. So oh,
0: um, Hobby that. Lobby, in case anybody...
1: Is that, yeah. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. I like cry every time I go through Hobby Lobby. And
0: <laughs> 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 okay.
1: Back to the point. Back to the point. Yes, back to the point. So
0: what are they all into in this loving chaos? Like what do you guys, have you survived COVID? We have survived COVID. It's been a lot
2: of creativity. My daughter is obsessed with Disney princesses and she says the same thing on rotation every single day. So we're, it's truly Groundhog's Day with her because we know exactly what she's going to ask and you know who's your favorite Disney princess and what do you think about Jafar? And we have our script and we follow that every single day. And as long as we stick to the script, she's fine. How long does that script last for before oh. it changes? Um, it's about a year. Okay. So we did a year on who is Mal's dad from The Descendants. Wow. Which, what's the answer? It's Hades. Spoiler okay. left, it's Hades. Okay. Um, but we didn't know for quite some time, but <laughs> I mean, literally anyone that loves her was like, I-, I don't know. This is what we talk about. Then it was a year on um, who was the president when you were born, and she needed everyone to tell them the president, but a lot of people don't know that answer. So she caught a lot of people in very precarious situations. And now we're on who's your favorite Disney princess, or do you have a boyfriend? Oh. So those are the new
0: scripts. And side she note, recept- I'm very, I'm very interested on what, what about Jafar? Where does Jafar come into this?
2: Well, so in her head, um, her favorite Disney princess is Jasmine. So okay. she just to Jafar without actually saying anything about it because there's more going on mm-hmm. internally. about mm-hmm. receptively. So um, yeah, yeah. Or she just found this new YouTube channel called Super Pops. And if anyone else is a super pop family, I mean, you're like you're all in. So YouTube and her iPad have gotten us through Covid. And then my boys um have far too much screen time, and they they also are puppies because we won't let them get one. Mm. So they have an awful of go of being puppies. So we've spent most of quarantine talking about Disney princesses and feeding our puppies
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> out of a dish.
1: Yeah, sometimes right I mean off. it happens all the time.
0: Yeah,
2: exactly. Don't eat. Literally. You're gonna get that, it's fine. It's yeah,
1: fine. totally fine.
0: So your daughter has a chromosomal disorder, and your sons also they were when you were pregnant, you were told they were healthy. Is that or there were some complications t- from their birth, right? I was told when I
2: was pregnant that one of them that baby A had too much fluid in his brain. And I had to get a um, uh, E.G. not an EEG, uh, but you go into the big machine. Mm-hmm. I get- MRI? MRI, thank you. But my belly was so big, I like barely fit. And um, and I thought that would be the most traumatic part. And then I had a kidney stone when I was oh, pregnant with that. Oh my God. These babies are going to be. So once they were born, they ushered them right off to the NICU, to figure out which one it was. And the night of their birth, they said, you know, you're going to meet with the brain surgeon and figure out if this child will need brain surgery. Um, and when Jordan was born, she needed surgery immediately as well. And my husband and I said, what is it like to have a baby and just not meet with the specialty specialist and the surgeon right away. Um, and then that was Austin. Um, and we did about a year of neurology. And it turned out he didn't have to get the fluid drained. He just lives with it now. And then we found out, I guess, when Oscar, when Oliver was about 18 months to two-ish, they thought he had leukemia. So we spent a year doing that. And that's when everything, That's when I broke. That was, that that is was unbelievable. Yeah. That is,
0: Meanwhile, you I'm were managing trauma. the care of your daughter.
2: Right. right. Which... I mean, it isn't funny, but you just had to be like, okay, universe. Yeah. Cause she was still, we were still trying to get her servicers figured out and her transitions. And, um, she was, she's met a lot of milestones that no one thought she would make, but at the time of their birth, she was still, um, not meeting a lot of those milestones. So mm-hmm. it was a rough few years.
1: It has been a rough decade. And were you working all through that out of, yeah. outside of the home?
2: Yes, I took a year off when the twins were born, just because I didn't know how I would nurse and you know take care of twins and still teach ninth graders. Um, But other than that, I've I've worked straight through as a high school teacher.
1: That's unbelievable! Wow,
0: I'm tired of just listening to you. And I mean, I have two medical kids, and I'm listening to you going, "Oh my gosh, what if there was a third one?" (laughs) Like, so bravo to you.
1: Yeah, when you said that you like it broke you. yeah. What what did that mean to you? Like, what does that mean?
0: What does that look
2: like? So breaking for me meant I gained 65 pounds because I did nothing but emotionally eat at the weirdest times of day. It meant that I don't think my husband and I actually spoke about anything other than paperwork, bills, insurance, or test results, which a lot of medical moms can associate, you know, Experience so there's a a high uh, rate of divorce with families of special needs kids, and I can see how it happens because I said it's like this nice person
1: I'm just raising my kids with. Yeah, but I was call like our I always called Josh and I like we're really good business partners.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I miss you, but there was no time for that. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, to make things harder, we we had some death in the family during that time as well. So we were. Sort of going through the grief, uh, grief process with that, and it just was everything that depression looks like: sitting on a couch and watching who knows what, and losing all interest in anything. And um, it was, it was really, really hard. And I'm pretty peppy and upbeat, and I have an acting background, so I knew how and when to turn it on so that people didn't worry about me too much, because the more people worried, the worse I felt. Yeah. But I luckily, um, and for people listening, have in my English class we talk about your universe of obligation, the people that you're the most connected to. And luckily my inner inner circle is so tough. And they read through all, all my acting and um sort of didn't let me completely lose it. So I, you know, made it to the other side. But the weight of that never went away. That's a really hard piece to let go of. But that's that's what breaking looked like for me. And it's one of the reasons
1: I started writing. And did you feel like um, it was your children's diagnosis or, you know, what you expected their future to look like versus what it did look like was a huge weight of that? Or was that just, you know, a small part of just, just the everything. entire thing?
2: Yeah, I love that question. I think it was the lack of control and the fear of, I think I've since learned it's living in that I always say it wrong flight or fight syndrome. Fight or flight, yeah, yep. It is always, I, I'm, my cortisol levels literally are high all the time because I'm just waiting. Um, my daughter was diagnosed with epilepsy during that time. I was waiting to see if she would have a seizure. I was waiting to see what the test results for my son would say. I was waiting to see if my my son with the fluid in his brain, his eyes would go back where they needed to. I was just waiting for more. And in fact, when it got calm is when I kind of lost it because there wasn't another thing to do. There wasn't another test to to do. And it, it made me realize how scared I was. And being scared as a mother is one of the hardest things to admit because it's wrapped up in guilt and fear and I brought these people into the world and I don't know if I can keep them safe. And I'm pretty good at pulling things together. I can organize a classroom full of people. I can work my way through a book. I can even figure out where to hide in my basement when I need to. And there were things I just could not control. So I think that's what it was.
1: Isn't it amazing like how we all grasp for some sort of control? It can be in it can be in totally different ways. Yeah.
0: I've found that when things are getting to that point, like you said, either things are calm is when I start to freak or, or spiral, I guess would be a better term. Or when things are really bad and I have zero control over the bad is when I start to spiral too. So like there's that weird gray area where things are like chaotically stable. Yeah. But what I have found that I do is I, and we've joked about it on our show, but it really isn't funny. Like I will eat copious amounts of candy corn and sugar and stuff. And that's my one outlet. My other is I compulsively clean my house and make sure everything is in its place because I can't control what's going Mm -hmm. on with my kids, but I can control if there are dishes on the counter or, you know, like, and so before bed, when things are really bad, I'm like going around putting everything in its places because that's something I can control
2: yeah I used to get myself to sleep by reorganizing closets in my head. Mm. Did I move where it would like calmed me and it, because everything is so we're like living in tornadoes. Mm-hmm. And, and the food one has taken me a really long time to come to terms with and figure out. but it just felt so good to sit and eat the box of cookies and then for a moment, it was doing more than talk therapy might do, or calling someone that loved me. Like it was just
0: easier. And, but mm-hmm. then afterwards, it's like oh, a bad feel. Like, yeah, you feel bad physically because you just ate a box of cookies. And I'm speaking for myself because Diane knows. Two weeks ago, I literally ate a box of Girl Scout cookies a day.
1: That she was going to actually mail to me.
0: <laughs> no, them. I gave yours away, by I know. the way. That's, that's I'm that's kidding. really close to someone that you feel comfortable to eat their box of cookies. <laughs> <laughs> but as you're like, I'm eating them like potato chips. And then yeah. you feel good for like five minutes mm-hmm. after mindlessly eating them. And then you sit back and you're like, I don't feel good. Like, I I don't mentally feel yeah. good. I don't physically feel good. Like, I just ate two sleeves of thin mints.
1: And like, how do you come out of that, right? Like, how do you get from knowing, like, I'm about to shovel or drink too much or whatever your coping mechanism is to, I'm going to feel awful. Because I use, like, whether it's cookies or whatever I choose to eat, it's kind of like an effort attitude. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, screw it. I'm just done. Like, I can't do this, you know?
2: So I read something that when it it equated what we are feeling and your vices to there's a river flowing and it's rushing by and you cling on to a log and that log is there to keep you safe and alive. So one of the reasons that we are not eager to let go of whatever the vice is, is because it's been working for us in some way. And until you can kind of acknowledge that and replace that log with something else, which gets into every special need mom's favorite conversation of self-care. Um, and you can replace it with something else that's actually going to do what the log was doing for you, what the cookies were doing for you, or the wine was doing for you, or whatever it was. You can't let go of the log.
0: Well, because- and the log is just a log. It's not a life raft. It's just a log. Right. It's just yeah. a
2: log. We've uh, associated it with it's literally kept me alive. Mm-hmm. So. I know, I hate the conversation about put your oxygen mask on first because I think it's, I mean, I love that concept, but it's, I like to say I learned to take really quick catch breaths, which is what you do as a singer. You never really need to take that full part of air. I just learned to kind of sip my way through the day. And I was like, oh, I don't need this whole oxygen mask thing. Like I can, I can do without it. And that's when I, I think in part of that breaking that happened to me is I wasn't really ever learning how to cope with even the smallest things. So then the biggest things really just undid me.
1: Wow. I love that. And I feel like that the whole put your own oxygen mask on is so counterintuitive to moms, any mom, let alone a special needs mom, right? Like why well, I can't because I have so much on my plate. I can't just take care of myself because my kids need me physically right. in so many different ways. so Right. And of course
2: we pass out because we don't have enough oxygen that no one's taking care of them. But in the moment, it's still just so much easier to say, oh, well, I'll just get to myself in a second. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll just Mm -hmm. hold my breath until it's my turn. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
0: So how did you, did a light switch go off? Did you just say, this isn't working for me and this needs to be different? Or how did you get out of it?
2: So I got out of it I started therapy and had someone else holding me accountable for all the things that I was dismissing and excusing myself for. And I started writing and I didn't mean to start writing, but I um, was modeling an assignment for my students. They were writing a personal narrative and I thought it would be better for them to see an example. So I added that to my very heavy to-do list and I sat down and wrote this piece about being an English teacher and being obsessed with words and having a child that may never have them. And it just poured out of me. And then I read it to them the next day as an example. And I cried through the whole class and they were like, Oh my goodness, what's happening to our teacher. Um, And it unlocked this feeling. It was the first thing that made me feel like myself in a really long time. It was the first thing that made me feel like I was in control and I could shape the words and I loved writing. I just kind of forgot. And I, I kind of think that was the first step in remembering who I was before all of the craziness that happened.
1: Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I was actually going to ask you if there was any grief along with the fact that, I mean, it sounds like your daughter's more verbal now, but in the beginning, you as an English teacher and then having to grieve through that, like, how am I supposed to do this? Like, I communicate via, I mean, everything, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I wrote a whole memoir about just that, actually. Um, she she has words, but you, an unfamiliar listener doesn't know what she's saying. So when we're at the grocery store and she's saying, who's your favorite princess? And do you have a boyfriend? People don't know what she's saying. So I'm still translating for her and we're obviously working on getting her to be more understandable. But I did not know... I... I did not know how to approach the world because my whole world was words. I use theater and I teach books and I felt um, pretty terrible about that because I actually wanted to be a sign language teacher first. So I had always loved other forms of communication, but hadn't realized how much I was just relying on vocal utterances to do so and how wrong that was of me. Um, because I didn't know. So because she didn't have words for such a long time and we didn't know if she understood ours, it, it
1: made me understand how to communicate in ways I wouldn't have learned before. I'm in the really frustrating part of that. How, Mm -hmm. how would you navigate help somebody navigate through that since you've learned so much?
2: Yeah. So, um, so I was also sharing, I, I teach I teach nonverbal students too. So I can answer this from both parenting and teaching. So it's the same, it's the same routine and same structure and same physical cues for each thing. So my daughter couldn't learn sign language in a way that other people could. So strawberry became two hands on her head, like a tiny little triangle. And I would stand in the same part of the kitchen, holding the same bowl and say strawberry and put my hands on my head, like a little triangle. And I would, I think it took three months, but she then one time imitated with her little hands up there. And when I handed her a strawberry, she smiled and ate it. Whereas before she would like, you know, throw them at me because I wasn't communicating well. Did your heart explode? Oh my your, God. Like
0: you would have so given her buckets of strawberries.
2: <laughs> I don't care whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so much of just slowing down and, and one of the things that therapist taught us that I loved was truly prioritizing. So I was trying to get her to say please and thank you using her signs. And the therapist was like, those are not necessities. Like she'll be a polite kid later right now. She needs to learn to say hungry or tired or, you know, these or yeah. And we also really relied on an old, an old school PEX system, a, P- mm-hmm. a picture exchange communication system And we had a really small one that wasn't on the iPad and it almost made it easier because I had it in my back pocket at all times and each page only had three choices. So this is bringing up that piece that I care so much about, about student or students and children having their own choice and agency and voice. So if it was music time, there were three pictures for her to choose from. And even if I had a hand over hand, get her to choose one, there was still her telling me, are we singing twinkle, twinkle, little star or row, row row your boat or whatever it was. And then she would learn, like she would grab the book and give it to me. And I would turn to the page that she wanted. And eventually, like we just learned to communicate. It was a lot of just staring at each other and letting the rest of the world kind of go away and
1: prioritizing. So how were you doing that with two toddlers on your back? Cause Mm -hmm. that like, I mean, I feel everything you're saying and I want that. And yet I'm mom, mom, mom. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys, there's three of you, you know?
2: Yes, it feels like nine. Um, So for me, luckily those phases were happening before the twins were born because they're four years apart. However, the answer is still true for now. So we have to divide and conquer. So um, it's that zone defense so if Jordan needs to learn an explicit skill or we're working something explicitly, one of us, my husband and I have to take her into that space and the other one knows they're taking the other two because the second that I'm trying to do something and the other, you know, they all have different needs and their needs are all in the opposite direction and we are not octopuses and octopi, octopuses, yeah. <laughs> no one knows. We don't have and, lots you know, of legs or hands. Lots of, right. And- <laughs> So we learned um, there are like designated spaces for that work and that we have a high interest activity for the other two. But what that means is your life is like a lesson plan. Your Sunday becomes structured around the therapies and you don't have the luxury of like everyone's just lounging in bed and drinking coffee because you know there are th- there are just these moments of time you have to steal But if we can steal them and it works, then the day is actually better. So that's how I would do it. It's almost like the other two go somewhere else for a minute.
1: Yeah.
0: I love how you said the communication doesn't just have to be verbal. And I have two nonverbal children. Lorelai is learning to use her Toby talk device and she uses her eyes. And the other day, Benji was in occupational therapy and we were doing everything virtual and Lorelai finds the emotions page, which I didn't even know there was an emotions page. And all of a sudden, she's going, love, 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 love. And I then start singing, like, the Beatles song, and she is hysterical. So then we go back to Benji, who's in therapy, and she goes, frustrated.
1: (laughs) I'm like, oh,
0: boy. Here we go. So then you have to play up, you know, whatever she's saying. That wasn't the story I wanted to share. But that's what, so Benji decides, like can say mama, dada, and lay down um, because we yelled at the dog all the time. Benji <laughs> does not like to lay down at all, ever. He wants to be sitting up, but physically he can't. He wants to be up and moving. So he had sat in his little strapped in chair for about an hour. And then he looks at me the other day and he says, lay down. And I'm Ooh. like. He said okay. lay down. So wait. So wait for it. And I was like, okay. I hear this therapist in the back of my head saying, follow their cues. Like if he said mm-hmm. something, you go with it. Like you just see what happens. Now, this is the kid who if you lay him down, he screams. I was like, well, bud, you said lay down. So let's lay down. And I put him it, – he has a dog bed because they it's comfortable. Um, so yeah. I put him in his dog bed. He looks at me, he smiles, he grabs his toys and starts playing. And I was like, this is the kid who, if you lay him down, he screams at you. But he said, lay down. And I was like, okay. So when you're saying the strawberry pointy, I mean, nobody could see your hands, but like, that's where my mind went is that if they do any sort of cue physically, like, and the fact that he smiled, it was like that moment of, we just communicated. Yeah we had an interaction and both of us are happy right now. So like, yeah, yeah, it's magic. It's just one of those moments. And then, you know, it makes you step back and go, these kids know so much more than they are Mm -hmm. able to vocalize or, you know, whether it's through a Toby talking device or through the Pex pictures, you know, Mm -hmm. but to be able, I have to step back and go, I need to give him options. I need to like realize that he is a human little kid who may be sassy when you lay him down, but that's because he doesn't want to lay down. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to help him by laying him down and he gets all shouty with me. But he has things that he wants. And I know you and I had talked yesterday before this interview about how our society, often parents, me included, will say, okay, well, this is how we're gonna do it. Or here, let me help you do blah, blah, blah. Or here, let me give you the strawberry instead of the grape. And, you know, just because they can't verbalize doesn't mean that they don't have choices that they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: that has been my a huge takeaway. And from teaching this class I teach, there was, you know, there's an agenda to get through. So I'm like, everyone gets a scarf, you know, I'm throwing the scarves. But for a child who's verbal in the class would say, I want a blue one. And without thinking, I would just toss that kid the blue one. And then I would go to the next kid and just toss them a scarf. And one day I I stopped and I said, everybody probably cares what color scarf they have. This isn't the like you get what you get and don't get upset game. This is you get to choose. And I just held up two scarves and they always take what they want. These are children with severe, severe disabilities. And they always tell me, what choice they want. And it was such a wonderful reminder that I don't think any of us are doing it out of anything other than we're moving too fast mm-hmm. and we have four other things to think about. And, and that's what I love about this world of communication of that you can validate what they gave you the next time, like lie down, may happen again, and then you might be able to build off of something else, like that there's this foundational piece that there's an understanding but when you think about how we learn language and how we learn to communicate, it's happening for many people. So naturally, you don't ever have to break down those steps. And when you get to watch it happen, it's incredible. Because one of my twins does also, also has special needs on a different way. So I have one neurotypical kid, and he just learns things. Mm-hmm. Nobody taught it to him. Like, he can read. Like, that's a miracle. I'm sure you learned that in school, but I've never seen a kid just look at a book And start reading because it doesn't happen in our house. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's cool to remember that all kids have the ability to demonstrate what they're thinking in whatever way they can.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it really takes, like you said, to your point, we just have to slow down. Because I will say, I never knew how hard lack of communication with a child is. And it's not just simply they're frustrated and getting shouty with me, which is a huge part, but Mm -hmm. then it's the guilt you feel after. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you want, but stop yelling at me. And then sometimes I'm like, all you do is yell at me, but I actually think you might be trying to just simply say something. And you, you know, you, I mean, she has a little inflection in her voice, but not even a ton of that. It's very complex and really, really wearing some days.
2: And also what you're yelling at me for might not actually be what you're yelling about what you actually want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like we all, I might be yelling about something that really was about something else. And, yep. and that's the thing about really watching your kids and noticing the behaviors and the triggers. And it's, it's all consuming, which is why I think so many of us live in that heightened state. Because you're mm-hmm. just ready at any moment for whatever is going to happen.
0: And we forget mm-hmm. that they are still... Four year olds, five year olds, you know, and like what four year old, five year old typical child knows actually what they want? I mean, again, huge assumption because I've never had one and never will, but like I imagine that there's a reason why kindergartners have timber tantrums. <laughs> like it, one of my friends posted something that her daughter was upset because the bath water was too wet. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, like what if sometimes is just freaking out because of something like the air is too cold or, you know, like, and here I am immediately going to, is it a medical issue? Am right. I missing? Like, why are you screaming at right. me? Right. There's a really great, like,
2: meme series of, like, reasons my child is screaming. <laughs> and it, it brings me so much joy. It's like the microwave ate my food or <laughs> like, just these amazing, amazing reasons that make you remember kids are kids are kids. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What what? Our kids that can't communicate? They're so smart. I mean, Selah is so stinking smart. And I often have to remember Nora, my middle, who's just going to be eight at this age. I mean, we butted heads so bad. And sometimes I'm like, you know, of course, she is wonderful at school, comes home and they're like, she was great and happy. And I'm like, why are you yelling at me all the time? Well, because I'm your mom. And that's what, you know, four-year-olds do sometimes with their mom.
2: You're the safe place. Mm-hmm. Yes. We just had that conversation at our IEP meeting this week. That exact <laughs> conversation.
0: Ours is coming up. <laughs> We're not even going to the IEP conversation. I'm going to cut that one off, ladies. <laughs> not this episode. <laughs> so one of the things you talk about and you share on your platform is how special needs, medical, this whole world um, that we all landed in, it doesn't have to be sad. Mm-hmm. The stories can be hope-filled and full of joy. And that's something that we think is absolutely important here at When Autumn Comes, which is why we're doing this to share that, you know, sometimes we all do face the hard times, but we these stories don't have to be sad stories.
2: Yes. So I, I approach this through the lens of storytelling and literature. And historically, I mean, if you're going really historical and I could do more later, but there was this eugenics movement in our history after the industrial revolution. And, and it became a a time of who fits in and who doesn't. So if you were othered in any way, you were institutionalized or put off, 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 off. And, we are still living in the legacy of that. We're still living in the wake of that so many years later, many, many years later, because stories about disabilities um, tend to be pitiable. The the person who is has a disability is a source of fear. They're asexual, they're unable to participate in society. Or the opposite, which is this inspirational porn. So they're angels on earth and they're here to make us all realize what should be more beautiful. And every story ends with like the angels singing and this child has done something and they are here to bring this like strength. And there's no really in between. And as people who live it every single day, yes, your child brings you a lot of joy and you learn a lot from them. Um, But that's not necessarily their purpose in existence. And also, they deserve to be at the playground and have the adaptable swing and all the things that other kids get. So one of my missions is to really change the narrative about how kids with disabilities see themselves and how other people see them. So in literature, there's this thing called window and mirror texts. So families like all, all of ours could find stories where there are kids with disabilities not because they have a disability, but they're just a part of the story and they're living the part of the story with everybody else's and see our own lives reflected back. And for us, it would be this um, mirror text. But for families that are not like ours, could read stories and see these texts as window texts and increase their empathy and learn more. Like you don't say, oh, I think she's still a baby. That's why she's in a diaper at age six. Or don't go ask her about her orthotics because we don't want them to feel bad. And all of these things that my family hears at all the time because people don't know how to talk to us because we look sad to them. We look pitiable and we look othered. Um, So in in my work, I'm trying, I I just wrote a middle grade series where the main character is a detective, but she has a disability and and also who cares? Like she just happens to have a disability. And even books, this is controversial, but even books like Wonder, which are incredible, incredible stories, still end with a giant assembly and everyone's like, yay, the boy with the disability saved everybody and made it better. And it's not really what real life is like we just. I believe people should keep fighting for just acceptance and inclusion, and in doing so, we can find all that joy, whether it's in the tiniest thing, because our child did something we never thought they would do, or because we're having a crazy dance party and we're being silly and we're forgetting all the other stuff for a moment. Um, and it's not all the sad. And the last piece, I know, I have a lot to say about this, is I feel like it lives with the and. So yeah, I am hiding in my basement because my daughter was just having a massive, massive temper tantrum. And also yesterday, she went to a salon for the very first time and got her hair cut, which was amazing. And we never thought would happen. And both of those things happen simultaneously. We are not just one and we're not just the other. And I think when people don't really know people with disabilities, they just assume we're hiding in our basements. That's my thesis.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I've been reminded a lot of times that you can feel joy and pain at the same time. You can, you can be happy that your daughter went to the salon, but you can also respect and know that in your heart, like, it's a little sad that it took 10 years or, you know, and you can feel both and it and feel good about both. Um, And I, I, when you said the they're either angels or, you know, it's terribly sad. Like that speaks to me because I'm in the trenches right now. And I feel like it, that mentality completely discredits my day to day survival and Mm -hmm. my day to day activities. And, you know, I have a Facebook page for my kids, um, Fridays with Lorelei stars for Benji. And if I post Laura I sold Girl Scout cookies if you want if you want to get Girl Scout cookies here's the link or if I post we went and did I don't know we had a great dance party it gets like three likes if I post that we're in the ICU it gets like a thousand likes mm-hmm. and it's just this I want people to respect the day-to-day like dance party you know like mm-hmm. and it's just a weird weird thing place that our society has turned it into.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, I, it's perpetuating these implicit biases. It's like perpetuating the single story of what we think that a story with disability is supposed to be like. So if you're supposed to be in the ICU because, or then, you know, wherever you're supposed to be, that matches the picture mm-hmm. that we received. And I, I should get the quote. I think it's like 89% of people learn about disabilities through texts whether it's TV shows, movies, commercials, books, 89% of people. So when those stories that we're receiving are not depicting the real life stories, you're not getting accurate pictures. And when they do, like um, there was the show Speechless that mm-hmm. was just on a few years ago, which was really interrupting all of these, you know, biases. It got canceled because the ratings weren't high enough. hmm and so it's, it's that fighting for, I believe if there's more stories, your like page would grow up because people are understanding. In fact, that should almost get more likes, right?
0: Because mm-hmm. that's, the, that's, that's what we want to be. Exactly. With. That's where as a mom, I'm like, why don't you people like the fact that we had a dance party? Like that yeah. is something that I was told in the NICU we would never have. And yeah. then I step back too, though, and. I don't disagree with you, but I step back and I go, like, what am I sharing on social media or on my website that, Mm -hmm. like, am I sharing the bad and not the good? Am I sharing the real life? Am I sharing too much? Am I, by sharing, am I making it more about their special needs and not the dance party? There's just a, it's a
2: heavy subject. (laughs) Yeah. This is the topic of my therapy this week. Because I said I feel like a hypocrite sometimes. I'm gonna share that with all of your all of your people too. I feel like a hypocrite sometimes because here I am saying we have to fight for the joy. And then a week ago I got punched so hard and I like couldn't speak for the whole day, and all I could do was make a chicken soup. That was like the only way I could handle it. I was so upset with how I felt towards my daughter in that moment because she was so cruel to me in that moment. And I, I ask myself the same question. What stories am I putting out there so that if someone says, how was your weekend? And I say, well, then they'll go, oh, I'm so sorry. And is that fueling me in some way? Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's also the society that we're living in. That's mm-hmm. what we're used to. That's how we get support. And I didn't finish that therapy session, but I will let you know.
1: <laughs> you know, I always tell Susan, I feel like I just live on a roller coaster. I'm either up or I'm down. And I'm like, I almost feel like I'm bipolar in some way and not to take that diagnosis lightly by any means. Um, However, I loved how you said you're either living in a world where your child is this magical gift to this universe, right? I mean, God gave us this child to do X, Y, Z and just embrace it. And so you push through all of the hurt or you're like down here. And we talk about it so much, like trying to give people your authentic feeling but not drag them down with you and mm-hmm. i miss that middle ground and it's still there and i i always say it i'm like here i am on this huge roller coaster and is just this horizontal yeah. line straight through it you know and i speaking to just creating awareness i feel like i throw my child at other people because i have realized all you need to know you just have to spend time with them mm-hmm. to understand them period yeah. And all these little neighborhood friends are learning her quirks. And my four-year-old has totally has a crush on my 11-year-old's buddy that lives across the street. And it is incredible to see, but none of these kids would know that unless we are sharing this with them. And I don't want to throw her on them to be a burden, but like, I promise you, you will know her. Brings me joy and I just appreciate it. But that, I mean, that was like a light bulb moment for me but what you just talked about. And I can't wait for people to hear it because that's Well, and if
0: 89% of people are only getting their information from text and movies and stuff like that, that 11% that you throw Selah on, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's people don't learn about any of this. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about any of this until I was thrown into it. So Mm -hmm. I, I can't fault people, no. but
1: they're pretty cool human beings. Yeah, they're super cool. And they're different. Like, Leah, I don't... Maybe I have not to spend at 4 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, yeah, I would have to get to know, you know, spend time with your daughter to simply know, like, right? how is she communicating? What is she like? I mean, they don't all like the same things. And it's just about spending time with these humans. And it's
2: the same thing we'd say with anybody's child about anything. Mm-hmm. But when it takes an extra step to understand them or see what they want or see what they need the playground has moved on already the i remember there was a day of trick or treating and she had some words and she kind of was like wait basically is what she you know she used her weights and sign and the kids just like all ran away and we went trick or treating and i cried through the whole thing i mean it brings tears to my eyes still because all she wanted to do was be with these other kids and no one was being cruel they just mm-hmm didn't know. And I don't know if their parents knew, and I don't know if their parents, I I don't know. I don't know if people always know. So I think, you know, when you're talking about the families listening, if you're in those really early stages, it's so hard to say, oh, can we, can we include my child too? Because you're still trying to figure out what that means, or it's still so emotional for you. But I think that's a sign of like moving along the continuum of saying, yeah, we're going to make this work for my family too so that we can be a part of this neighborhood activity or we need to change the time or we need to change the options so that we can play too. But so many times at the very early stages, those parents were just saying like, oh, go ahead, go on without us. Yeah. And it's so lonely and it's so isolating. And that's why like, I love listening to your podcast and people who are doing this work because it is so lonely. Mm-hmm. To be here. And if you don't know people that are doing it with you, you have to find them in a different type of community.
1: So we went trick or treating this past year, and Sayla had her wheelchair. And I've realized throughout a lot of different steps up until this age, you know, she got glasses, and everyone's like, she's so sweet. Like, look at her cute glasses, to oh my gosh, look at her cute shoes, to like, oh, her wheelchair. And I love that acknowledgement. And I don't want to deter anybody from, because I want my child to get attention. (laughs) You know, I want people to notice her in any way that, but at the same time, I realize that now I am finding that sometimes it's painful because as she ages up, she doesn't, she has quirks. I mean, we've talked about this too. Like her drooling, isn't cute. Her, and you know, I, I, I love that Like, yes, we will choose to include my child. I will make it happen because I want that to become normal. I don't want her cute wheelchair just to be normal, and I'm happy it is, but I don't want her cute wheelchair or her cute glasses. Like, yeah, my child drools a lot because she has very low muscle tone or she has, you know, her hand movements or flapping or whatever she does. Like, look, be be able to look beyond that Mm -hmm. and really get to know these kids because they are so amazing, just as amazing as every other human being is out there. Yeah.
2: Yes. And, and to get to know them because they're people who deserve to be known and not because it's a good college essay,
0: Hmm.
2: not because you were the nice kid who was extra kind. I call it politely like, it's like they're politely invisible. So I can see it in my schools. I can see it in the places where I go. There's one thing to be nice, and there's another thing to be inclusive. And that college essay, I think you guys know what I'm referring to, right? Like I volunteered at this mm-hmm. organization, and if you're really doing it, because it's feeding your you're soul not writing soul.
0: about it. If you're really doing it, like yeah, <laughs> right.
2: right. I think I've met one, one child in the whole experience that like it truly changed his life, but it's the, I'm being nice because I was taught to be nice. And that still has pity underneath it. Mm -hmm. That still has that, you know, these individuals are pitiable and that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years in our society. And it's a lot,
1: it's so hard to move the needle, but I I do think it's moving. So then how do you speak? Let's just say your students, and I'm not sure if you know, you actually bring that into the classroom. But how are you seeing that change? And how do you speak to these kids or would you about that?
2: Yeah. So I use explicit instruction to do so. So I talk about this concept. It's from um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adiche, who's this amazing Nigerian author. And she talks about these single stories that exist for anything about race, ethnicity, sexuality, socioeconomic status. And I actually teach my students about that concept and show them where are these single stories about disability being perpetuated in a story and continued, or where are they being interrupted? And once they understand it with a text like Of Mice and Men, for example, where the character, spoiler alert, Lenny is killed, and you're supposed to say as a reader, like, oh, phew, Lenny's going to be, you know, it's fine now because we got rid of him. He had a cognitive disability. Why is that so problematic today in 2021 to read it? And then how can I transfer that into things in my own world? How can I look at the spaces I inhabit, the people I'm following on Instagram? Am I living this ableist society? Am I only looking at people who are able-bodied or neurotypical? And am I interested and available to be able to open up my world a little bit more? And this was stuff I was always teaching, but because I'm a part of the community, I think that I can give some more stories that help 14-year-olds in their impressionable state see things differently. And I will have kids come back to me and say, you know, I was at Burger King and someone used the R word and I told them to stop because it wasn't a nice word and it's not okay to say. And I would never have done that until I understood why. Or I was, you know, going back to my elementary school and I noticed these kids weren't playing and I tried to figure out why and like talk to the teachers. So there it's empowering them to go out. And it's no different than the conversation our country's having about race, mm-hmm. about sexuality, about gender identity. It's just another one of the isms. But I still think there's, there's so much so more to go. But I think that's how you can start to talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I loved when you said, am like challenging these kids. Am I available?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I have this nagging question that we might end up editing this out because I don't feel like it, it doesn't go with the flow of our conversation, but talking about like inclusion and talking about, mm-hmm. you know, both of you are saying, I want, like, I will take my kid places. I will do, you know, but then there's moms like me, and I feel like I'm going to cry, but what's an episode without somebody crying? Mm-hmm. I can't because they are severely immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. And we stay in our four walls all the time. And it's not that I don't want to take them out. It's that I can't. Mm-hmm. So, like, what, am, what do I do? Like, how I can't take them to the park and fear of germs and like, you know, the, at the heightened peak of COVID where everybody's freaking out, that's what we're like all the time in this house. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the solution is. You know, I don't know if I, I can't risk their lives to take them to be around other children. And what is it teaching my kids? I don't know. What is it teaching other kids? I don't know.
1: Can I interrupt you for a second?
0: Yes, because I don't know what I'm saying.
1: As your friend and business partner, if you will. We're not in business. We're kind of in business. (laughs) You use your ability and gifts in a very different way. Like you don't just sit in your four walls. You make Lorelai a Girl Scout. You give her that opportunity. You bring the petting zoo to your home to give your kids that opportunity. And then you showcase it. And as social media, always have the best connotation to it? No, but you're utilizing that platform to show the world that your kids still matter. I mean, that's how people are getting to know them and getting to know what you bring to their lives.
0: But to the mom, if we keep this in, the mom who's listening that's in this, I mean, it's really lonely because you don't get to take them to the zoo. I mean, I saw, Diane, your your story of Selah being pushed wherever you were by the other kids coming up and offering her a toy. And like, it breaks my heart because that's just not something we will ever get. So I don't know. I I don't know where I was going with this, but I just had, I felt like there's somebody listening who may connect.
2: I I would like to weigh in as a, as a stranger in that really (laughs) (laughs) piece. And I think I can relate and maybe open it up to all the parents is that while my daughter is able to go out because of her health. She really can't go out a lot of times because of her behavior and her Mm -hmm. hypotonia and her exhaustion. So we also spend a lot of time inside because for example, we tried to go to the aquarium and we had to leave with her in a wheelchair because she collapsed on the floor because she walked up one flight of stairs. Um, And one of the things that I often, often thought was how can I bring the world in And for me, it was with my writing. And for you, it's this amazing podcast. And I think it's broken up into two places. One, it's like, how can I get my children's stories to be out in the world? But then also, what do my children need? And I remember reading this gorgeous article that might help you or other parents, where there was a mom of a high school student who took her to a football game. She was in a wheelchair and she was playing with her horses. And she saw a bunch of typical high school students all hanging out and talking. And the mom was very upset because she realized her daughter wasn't one of these typical students talking about, I don't know, sleepovers. But then she looked at her daughter and realized her daughter was so happy playing with her My Little Pony and that she was putting her own interpretation of what happiness looks like and what high school looks like. And I always held on to that story. I hold on to it all the time because until last year my daughter had no friends and she was happy she was happy she loves her own reflection she dances in front of a mirror i think she thinks she thinks she's in carnegie hall but it's just her and her hair and <laughs> until until about a year ago she has one friend and like this one friend i said those words i never ever thought she would meet someone who would want to be with her for who she is, not because she was a checklist on their community mm-hmm. service. So I think when you think about your children, it's it's that part too. Are they are they doing okay in your four walls? Because the world is probably really beautiful there, right? And they have each other mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Um, like my twins only have each other. We're a very isolated family but my presence in the world is bigger because I can get out in ways they can't.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I don't know. It's not the perfect answer, but I think it's separating the thoughts. Yeah. And I think I, this conversation today has just been outstanding. I, mm-hmm. um, I feel like we, and I said this, I think yesterday, but we are th- three medical special needs moms and we all come from different backgrounds, but, We can all relate to each other and we can all connect on such a weird level that, you know, like I hope that people listening feel the same connection. So thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. But we've come to the part of the show where I have to ask you the question. So, Leah, what gives you hope?
2: I I did try to plan ahead. (laughs) I'm going to stick to our conversation and say, the storytelling, that the storytelling will change and there will be more stories and they will be more inclusive.
1: It's beautiful. Absolutely,
2: yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me.
0: Wasn't she the coolest? Wasn't that just an amazing conversation? I I love how three moms who... Are practically strangers. I mean, Leah was a stranger before this conversation. Diane and I have never actually met in real life. We can sit down from three very different backgrounds and just finally feel like someone gets us. And I hope that everybody feels the same way as you listen. I want to give a little shout out to Leah. The timing of this couldn't be more perfect. This conversation was recorded, gosh, like, late, mm, early spring. Early spring, I think it was. And timing is just everything because here we are, September 1st. And now Leah's book is available for pre-order. You guys, she has a book, and it's available for pre-order. And pre-orders for authors, let me just tell you, is like their love language. So if you want to hear more from Leah and more about her sweet family and more about kids like all of our children please go and pre-order her book the link is in the show notes and on our website her book is called loving you big and i've only seen the front cover and it's beautiful and i'm obsessed and i want i'm i'm gonna go pre-order it also you can follow her on social media and, you know, all the normal places, but she is at Loving You Big on Instagram and Facebook. So, Leah, thank you for being here. i I hope to connect here in the near future, and I can't wait to see what amazing things you continue to do for our world. This is Susan, and I am gonna go downstairs and I think my husband just finished dinner, like cooking me dinner. So I'm gonna go downstairs and have dinner with my husband and diane is in here so diane i don't know let me make up something for you hold on Mm. this is diane and i'm gonna go figure out how to revive the succulent that i killed see you guys next week
1: we know you have so many choices on how to spend your time thank you so much for choosing to spend it with us We would be honored to hear your unique, complicated, and hope-filled stories. We would love for you to connect with us and share your story on our website, www.whenautumncomes.com, and you can find us on social media at When Autumn Comes Podcast. Also, check us out at 4AM Mom Club, where we will be sharing our middle-of-the-night shenanigans, Etsy finds, Netflix faves, and other things to get us through. We would love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll continue to hear unique stories, feel a whole lot of comfort and connection, and hopefully share in a few laughs. We are new to the podcasting world, so this show is produced by yours truly. With hope and a whole lot of excitement, Diane and Susan, see you next time.